Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right. Well, we are in uh, we're in a series. If you haven't been following with us along, just to bring you up to speed, called "The Light Will Shine," and uh, title of today's message is "On Us, In Us, and Through Us." And what I'm going to attempt to do today, bear with me, is I'm going to cram. That's a reference to Daniel Cram. Free adver- Actually, that's not free advertising. Daniel Cram, you now owe me money for mentioning your name in a service. He's got lots. He's very good at what he does. But I'm going to attempt to cram the entire gospel into the message today. And it will be a terrible butchery of that because you can't possibly, like, really theologically grasp the entirety of the gospel in a 20 to 30 minute message. It's going to fall terribly short of truly sharing the whole story. But my prayer this morning is that it connects with you wherever you're at. If you're watching online, if you're with us in person, uh, if you're watching this later in the week, I mean, you really missed out on some great things this morning and you're going to get leftovers. But nonetheless, my prayer is that it'll connect with you. Um, here's, here's the short part. We walk in darkness. We're going to talk about light and darkness, of course, again today. But we walk in darkness because of sin. Sin being that action which separated man from God uh, all the way back into the Garden of Eden. Um, So because we walk in that garden, or because we walk in that separation from God because of sin, it was necessary that there be atonement made for us so that we could be in right standing with God again. That, That righteousness would be imputed to mankind through the shedding of blood. And that was the Old Testament system. And in the New Testament, we have the appearance of Jesus, which the entire old system was prophesying and setting up for the entire time. God did not make a mistake. God did not have a plan B. This was actually the plan from the beginning. And so we arrive uh, roughly 2,000 years ago at Jesus, God incarnate, being born to a virgin in a stable. And yes, we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. And you say, that's not possible. And we say, exactly. That's not possible because with man, there are many things that are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so we believe in the miraculous reality of the virgin birth. In a stable, he was born. In a place not fit for humans, but for animals, as you know the story. And this was the beginning of the systematic change God chose to bring salvation to all humanity. All right? Now, prophesied many times through the Old Testament, many, many times through the Old Testament, before, long before his appearance, uh, the Bible says that Jesus came just at the right time. He died for us just at the right time. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, and I want to read through that, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go through a bunch of Bible today. So if you're a note taker, please read the context around every passage I share with you this morning. It's, context is everything in Scripture. And it, it is great to have systematic approaches and read and, and exposit what we can from, from singular passages. But, but the problem is, is there's like 60, 60 or 65,000 cross-references, cross-references in the Scripture. And so one in Scripture interprets another. And that's the way, that, that's the good, that's the, the basic understanding you need to have to study God's Word is that. Um, you need to understand that one scripture can interpret another scripture, and they work together to give us the whole picture. So Isaiah chapter 9, most of you are familiar with this, I hope, but we're going to read it. Isaiah 9 verse 2 starts by saying this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. They shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. 
For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor as in the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle of tumult. A cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. All right, now this passage has long been associated with Christmas as we know it. And most of you probably know that this morning. And so great job. You're tremendous Bible scholars just for knowing that. But I want to talk just briefly this morning about the names listed here because it, it theologically establishes the deity of Christ. And that's a very important part of the Christian faith that Jesus is in fact fully God, fully man, and specifically that he was God uh, the, the, even the word, the, the begotten of God, is to take God and put it in human form. We're not talking about a natural birth, but a supernatural natural birth. Okay? We're not just talking about a natural birth or a supernatural birth, but we're talking about a supernatural natural birth. It's an amazing thing that God did when he begat the Christ. And I'd like to draw your attention to this one little part of verse 2, because what that does is reveal the rest of what is to be accomplished in the coming of Christ. What will come to pass? And this is what it says in verse 2. It says, the light will shine on them. And then, if you come back through the text again, you're going to see what follows that. And the light will shine on them. And then it goes, you shall multiply, you shall increase. They'll be glad in your presence, right? It goes on, it goes on that way. And so what I want to draw out for you is the chosen nation will be multiplied. And we see that. We see the chosen nation of God be multiplied in that all the Gentiles were later added to that covenant that God made with his people. The gospel comes first to the Jews, but then it also comes to the Greek. It first comes to the chosen race, but then God says, I'm going to open this thing wide open because the chosen ones rejected the cornerstone. So this gospel will be for all nations. So you and I are included in the multiplication that follows the light shining on them, the appearance of Christ. The yoke and staff, the rod and the boot are broken and burned. Now I just want to talk about this because I don't hear people talk about this very often, but this is addressing four very, very specific, specific things. The yoke, of, of the, the yoke that it talks about is dealing with the, the, the weight, the burden that you and I were under in the old covenant of works and righteousness. That was a heavy load that the law put on the shoulders of men because you couldn't actually be perfect. You couldn't actually do everything the law said to do. And what we find is that at the appearance of Christ, when the light begins to shine on them, one of the first things that happened is that yoke is changed. It's no longer about works and righteousness, but it's attributed to us as righteousness when we have faith. And, it, and it, it is the coming under the lordship and the discipleship of Jesus Christ that begins to produce righteousness in us apart from our works. What an amazing thing. And then we come to, uh, we, we come to the staff. And the staff, as we look at it, is, is, is that voice of correction, right? A staff is used for guiding sheep. I watched a really bad um, theologian on, um, on um, Instagram. I don't know if you know this, but there's bad theology on Instagram from time to time. <laughs> Just a little bit of it. 
Uh, but but the, this fella this fella made the comment that the staff was not used for hitting sheep because he had traveled to Israel. And I laughed out loud when I read that. I watched his little video. I laughed out loud. I'm like, you ain't never owned sheep. If you, if you don't know what a ram is and you don't know why it's called a ram, if you don't think that staff is for using on sheep, it absolutely is. And, and what we see is the staff, the, the corrective, the, what, it, what, what is the Old Testament law, but the corrective teacher of men. And that changed in Jesus too. Because of, the, because of the impartation of the Holy Spirit to us in a permanent way, the, 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 the staff becomes something much, much different than the corrective instrument it was in the Old Testament where the law was a tutor. Now, you, you, you might ask a couple of questions. Pastor Traver, are you really keeping this in context? Yeah, if you go back in our messages that we've preached, I don't know, let's go back three, four months, you will find that all of this stays in context. Absolutely, it's in context, okay? And so we have this, we have this correction uh, and the law that's changed. And then it talks about how it's going to break the rod. You say, well, aren't the rod and the staff the same thing? And I don't think they are at all. I think the rod actually represents something that is far more uh, likened to warfare. And a rod is actually a weapon and can be used as a weapon. And so what I see there is the Old Testament law was filled with not only correction, but what was the punishment with the law in the Old Testament? Well, it was death. And that's broken in the appearance of Christ as well. The punishment and death changes. And then the boots. Nobody ever wants to talk about the boots. The boot resting upon someone is the symbol of slavery. When you keep someone underfoot, you are the champion over them. And, I, and it's not an accident, by the way, later on in the New Testament where we, where we see Jesus having his heel bruised by the serpent while he crushes the head because the enemy is under feet. In the New Testament church, Paul speaks to this as well, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath what? Underneath your feet, you see. So this was changed in Jesus too because in the Old Testament when God's people would rebel against him, as in the series we just went through on builders, they were taken into captivity in Babylon for many, many years. Why? Well, because they weren't honoring the law. And when they didn't honor the law, they were placed under the boot of an oppressor so that the land could endure its Sabbath. If you go back and listen, I'm sure you'll be able to catch up with us. All of these four things are actually changed dramatically at the appearance of Jesus. When that light begins to shine on men, everything begins to change. And it's not just that Jesus came and died for our sin, guys. It's Jesus came and died so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And so many times people stop short in the Christian faith and, and they, they go as far as this as Jesus came, he, he, he lived perfectly, he died so that he could be your savior. But, but what? If that's all, then you might as well get saved, die, and go to heaven and there's nothing else after that, right? So that can't be the end of our story. And Jesus didn't make it the end of the story. That's why he said, I have come that you, have, that you might have life and have that life to the full, or have that life abundantly. And so guys, there is life after the cross, there is life after salvation, and it is a life that you and I are called to live for the reasons we've been talking about in the past few weeks, but I'll reference it once again. The book of Matthew says, let your light shine before men, or let your good works shine before men. Why? So that men will see that and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There is purpose for your life beyond just being saved. And what a tragedy if you think that's where you should leave it. But let's understand this morning how much changed at the appearance of Christ. 
all of these Christmas carols that we sing, and I know some people even get a little bit tired of singing Christmas carols, would you just, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to renew your heart this season and begin to look at the theology, the doctrine that is in Christmas carols? Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. That is a powerful biblical reality that you and I have the wonderful privilege in Jesus of walking in in every day of our lives. The problem is, is you don't understand what it means to hark the herald. And I honestly don't either because I didn't look it up before church today. What the heck does harking the herald do? I don't even know. I'm sorry. Oh, listen. Okay. We... The grandmother of our church knows, so we should listen to her. Absolutely. Thank you, Mom. Appreciate it. <laughs> Bailing me out since 1978. Thank you. <laughs> Literally the first time. Literally. <laughs> Carlisle, thank you for being awake this morning. Oh, Jesus, please help me now. Oh, rub my balded head. All right. I got to come back. <laughs> All right. So in all of what Jesus does in his appearance is profound, but there's so much more to what he does as he is living and revealed in us, right? So what we see, when that light shines on us and illuminates everything around us, because the light will shine, right? We read it, and I said the light will shine, and then these things are going to happen. And as the light shines on us, what we see leads to what fills us. As everything in our world, is, as our sin is illuminated... It gives us the opportunity to be filled with something new. Matthew 6.22 says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Not a normal Christmas verse at all, I know. But Christmas, above all other stories in Scripture, is about the appearance of the light of the world. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a song we used to sing. I mean, that was song, like many other songs, was burned into my being as a child in church. Why? Because the eye is the lamp of the body. And what you fill your eyes with fills your life. There's several verses that tie to that. There's actually a number of verses that speak to how the eye of man is the introduction to everything that comes into him. It's what he will occupy himself with. It's what he will give himself to. The eye is the lamp of the body. So many things tied to this thought. The eye is what beholds. When John the Baptist invited the people he was baptizing in the river, when, the, when Jesus walked onto the scene into public ministry, into, into the public reality of his calling for the next three years, what were John's words? What were John's words? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we talked about what it is to behold just a couple of weeks ago. And so to behold something is to let it in through your eyes to inspire awe and wonder, to, to, to inspire you by its greatness, to really take it in. The eye is what beholds. And unfortunately, because the eye is what beholds, whatever we behold is what begins to fill us. And so if we're beholding the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that would be fine. I mean, that would be really good, right, Sam? That's all we had to behold was Jesus. No problem. We'll be full of Jesus all the time. But here's the reality. The eye is the lamp of the body, and what you let in through your eye is going to affect you. So the eye can also be what causes you to sin. 
Depending on what you fill it with, this is why Jesus references if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Because it's better to go to heaven with one eye than be in hell with two eyes. And we're not going to camp real long on that this morning. But listen, there's a verse in, I believe it's Proverbs, that talks about how the eyes of a man are never filled. That's talking about our, our tendency to lust after things of this world. That our eyes are always for more, acquire more, get more. Spend more, do more, have more. Eyes of a man are never filled. And these are just a couple of examples that we can, we can bring and talk about. And really, we could open them up and examine them, but we'd have to stay here probably, probably all day. And then there are those in the faith who, because they understand that they got to be careful their, to their little eyes what they see because they were raised in good Sunday schools, they just close their eyes. They cover them over. Because if I don't see anything bad, then I can't be bad. Well, that doesn't serve you very well because then you're a blind man. And, you, and you'll notice Scripture nowhere gives us permission just to close our eyes to avoid evil. Not, not once does it do that. See, you and I have the option as to what we allow our vision to be filled with. We actually do have a choice in the matter. And it's never been so easy to point out as by what the screen time tracker on your phone will tell me. So right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're going to bring your phones to the front of this auditorium, and I am publicly going to go through your phone and show everybody what you've been looking at. See, some of you are horrified. What if he did that? It's important because the eye is the lamp of the body. And if you're filling your eye with light, your whole body will be filled with light. But if you're filling your eyes with smut, and if you're filling your eyes with worldliness, and if you're filling your eyes with, I mean, we don't have the time to itemize everything that comes through a phone these days. That's what your body will be filled with. That's what your body will be filled with. So... If you have your eyes open and you look at bad things, you're not going to be full of light. If you close your eyes and don't look at anything, you're going to be full of darkness because no light's getting in. Oh, and then I remembered this one this morning as well as I was just finishing this up. There's this reference to the guy who has a plank in his own eye while he's trying to remove the speck from his brother's eye. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because if you get a plank in yours, you're not going to be much good to anybody else. If I can paraphrase it that way. What you see is tied directly to what you are filled with, would be my point. And this is why, the tr- the, the, this is why it's actually necessary and good that the traditions of Christmas are filled with so many visual references. I, and I encourage you, go and look at Christmas lights. Go and look at a nativity. Go and and let your eyes be filled with the wonder of this Christmas season and all of its celebration. Because it's good for your eyes to be filled. It's why the God of this world works so very hard to fill your eyes with other things. To capture and enslave you. To capture and to enslave your children. And I'm going to spare you my lecture this morning on kids having phones all hours of the day and night without supervision, without protection. Listen, you're not watching over them and the enemy is plundering your camp. 
The enemy is coming in the night while you are in bed and your child has their phone. And he is plundering your camp. Well, Pastor, we have the porn blockers. I'm not talking about pornography. I said I'd spare you the lecture, but I'm lying. <laughs> Here I find myself giving you the lecture. Just, just, just think for a minute, because we've dealt with this in our family. Your child who loves Jesus and is responsible and wise, wiser than their peers, has a phone beside his or her bed at 11 o'clock at night, and that broken kid from high school texts him and says, I am suicidal, I'm going to blow my brains out. Is your 13-year-old prepared for that? I'm just asking a hard question. Should they have to be is the next question. It's horrible. I, I, listen, I understand. It's horrible. But I, but I want you not to be unaware of the schemes of the devil. Understand what he is about. He wants to fill people's eyes with his kingdom so that we miss out on the kingdom of God that is already among us. We've got a lot of culture that's broken to fix in this world. We'll get to that before the end today as well. So listen, what we can do, because I don't want to preach you about what you can't do, but what you can do is understand that your eye is the lamp of your body, and so let that eye be filled with the true light. Let your eyes, physical and spiritual, be filled with that true light coming into the world that enlightens every man, as it says in the book of John. Because it will change you. And here's the thing, we can tell if we're changed because that light actually bears fruit. You say, oh, Pastor Travis, I've never read that before. We'll get there in just a moment. But here's what 1 John 2, 7 to 11 says. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard, or which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. So the kingdom of heaven is already among us, is what Jesus said. And John is restating it right here. The true light is already shining. The gospel is in the world at this point. So the one who says he is in the light yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, we take it for granted, these analogies and these symbols that the Bible uses, because we're not actually, you're not even familiar with darkness anymore. I was driving into town this morning in the dark, and they now have lights from the Wapiti Bridge, just about all, well, just about to the Wapiti Bridge, all the way into Grand Prairie. They also have a bunch of stoplights, which is a sermon for an entirely other day, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> But it's amazing because we have light everywhere. We're spoiled by it. Light is a convenience since the invention of electricity and the, and the distribution of electricity happened everywhere. It's, it's like, it's, it's something we take for granted all the time. And I think there's maybe some church people in here this morning who actually do take the light for granted from time to time. And we don't even notice that we are stumbling our way into darkness. And we think it's no problem if I'm going into darkness. I'll just flick on a light. And then all of a sudden you realize you're in a place where you can't reach the switch. That's what hatred does to you, by the way. That's what judgment, that's what a spirit of religion does in the heart of a person. Pushes you away, 
so you can't reach the switch. Keeps your arms down, keeps your hands in bondage, so you can't just reach over and darkness blinds eyes. And then here's the reference to fruit, Ephesians 5, 6 to 17. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Here's what it says then, for fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. The fruit of the light that comes out of you and I, and there is fruit from the light who is Jesus in our lives, consists not of, but in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In biblical times, understand this. If you woke up in the middle of the night, if you found yourself waking up in a tomb, what is the first thing that you would need to do? You would light a lamp so you could see. Nowadays, you light a lamp by probably grabbing your phone. And I actually do it just about every morning so I don't wake my beautiful bride who is quietly purring beside me. She's so lovely. She, I'm, I'm being sincere. She's very lovely. I don't mind watching her sleep at all. So in order to not wake her up, I quietly take my phone, and I, I don't know how to do it fast, so I go through all the long ways to do it, and I turn on my little flashlight on my phone, and then I quietly sneak across our room uh, to whatever it is I need to do next. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. But, the, but it's not that you and I get to flick on the light. What happens? And Christ will shine on you. Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Now listen, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I see a lot of people arguing a lot of theology these days. It's so disappointing. It's so very, very disappointing. There are those who would jump on the first part of this passage and, yeah, we're going to expose all the darkness. We're going to expose everybody. We're going to expose the people. We're going to expose the... Great, that's good, wonderful. Sure. But do you understand what the will of God is? Well, the will of God is to expose... No. The will of God is that none should perish. The will of God is that light, the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus, the light of his church would be presented to every soul on this planet. The light shines on us so that the light can be in us and then shine through us. In us, on us, through us. You're going to get tired of hearing this maybe, but I'm going to say it again. Let your good works shine before men. Matthew 5.16, let the light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.
I want you to understand once again, because sometimes it gets confusing. Worship team, you can come back. I do want you to understand this. How, how the order of faith and works happen together. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when faith comes out of that faith, good works should be produced because of the life of Jesus in us. Your good works do not produce faith. Your good works do not produce salvation. All your righteous works are filthy rags. I'm sorry that that's what the Bible says, but that is what the Bible says. So your works aren't worth a whole lot, except that when you've come to faith in Jesus and you let your good works shine before men, they see your good works, they understand that God is good, and they begin to glorify our Father who is in heaven. And so works are vitally important in the life of a believer, especially those good works that can shine before people who don't believe. And I want to tell you this morning that we need more than ever men and women who love Jesus, children, uh, uh, teenagers, adolescents who love Jesus, old people who love Jesus, to let their light shine before men. Do what is good. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sure. Do that. Let your good works shine before men. Because this is what happens. They see the goodness of God revealed. And as they see the goodness of God revealed, his kindness draws them to repentance. Because the light can't help but do what the light does. Jesus can't help but be Jesus in a fallen world. The gospel can't do anything but be the gospel to this broken place. And as all that begins to happen, as it all begins to unfold, men turn their hearts to God. We need people to testify to the goodness of God again and again in their lives. What has God done for you and who have you told about it? What if the greatest gift you could give at Christmas this year was your testimony? Like, for real. What if the greatest gift you could give this year, and some of you sit in church Sunday after Sunday going, my life is a piece of crap, I don't think there's anything good about it, and you're lying to yourself. Now, I'm not telling you some kind of feel-good, trying to, trying to stroke your hair kind of a message. That's not it at all. I'm, I'm telling you, what if your testimony is the greatest gift you could give someone? What if an act of love and service demonstrated to someone who doesn't know Jesus, moves them just a little bit closer to their relationship with God. What if the God of all that is has decided to use you to incrementally draw someone by his Holy Spirit just a little closer to himself? What if that's you? We fixate on the shepherds who saw the angels. We fixate on Mary and Joseph. We fixate on the apostles and the disciples, and we see the part they had to play, and then everything we imagine kind of follows after that narrative. But, but what if God has a different narrative for you? What if God's narrative for you is simple, that you're a lamp? And whether you're a city on a hill or you're in a bedroom or a cave or a tomb, that the light of Jesus in you is destined to shine through you so someone can just come a little closer today. Man, there's 70,000 people in the proper city of Grand Prairie. 
There's easily another 50,000 around that. So which one of those are you going to testify to this season? Can you think of a name? Can you think of a face? Who are you going to pray for? See, who, who are you going to invite the presence of God down on behalf of? Because you are the light of the world. That's all wrong, Pastor. Jesus is, no, Jesus said you. He, he said, I am the light of the world, and you are the light of the world. How can that be? It's simple. He lives in you. Remember? He shines on you, he shines in you, and he shines through you. Simple, simple. Sometimes we get frustrated because we don't see the results we expect to see. I understand that. I'm a pastor of a church. If you want to read a book about disappointment for not seeing the things you expect to see, you should read a book that a pastor writes. Because I think more than any other profession in the world, and I'm not asking for your pity by any means, I just happen to think that this is probably, well, there's two. There's also the parents of teenagers. Expectations and failed expectations, right? And I'm not hammering down on you. I understand the process because I'm in the process too. I'm becoming a little more like Jesus every day of my life in his grace and his goodness that's being expressed to me. And that's a wonderful story, and I know that it's your story too. But listen, you can't get frustrated when you don't see things happen as quickly as you should because you don't understand the scale of time that God is moving in. And so just be still and know that he is God. Stop trying to force his hand or someone else's hand. Stop trying to make things happen in your timing because your timing is off. What I have found in my life is that the gospel penetrates people's hearts, yes, in minutes and hours in some cases, but most often the gospel penetrates the hearts of human beings over weeks and months and years. No, that's not the kind of gospel I want. Well, if you can top Jesus who took a little over three years to do his work, good for you. Seriously. It took Jesus over three years to get the gospel implanted into our world. You think you're going to top that? Microwave popcorn generation, that's our problem. Three and a half minutes is all anything takes anymore. Listen. You will find great fulfillment in your life if you learn to trust Jesus, walk with him, do what he says when he says it, speak the word, share your testimony, pray for someone because he's instructed you to, and then sit back and watch him do the rest. That will be the most fulfilling thing you experience in this life. And I'm amazed at how God moves, how God answers prayer, how God touches people's lives when we just do what he's called us to do. Let his light shine through us. Let his goodness, his mercy, his grace flow through us into people who need it so badly. So let the light shine through you. Now, if you're already a follower of Jesus sitting here today and you already have that light, well, that's exciting. But I got to tell you this. And this is how we're closing the service today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have his light. And I say that 
in an absolute sense. You don't have his light if he's not in you. You can't. But the good news is, is that can change right here today. It can change as quickly as you can choose to change your mind. Right now, in this place, John 8, 12 says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you can have the light of Jesus in you right now, today. All that is required is that you follow him. Just become his follower today. Accept the good news of Jesus coming to this world. And I could talk with you for months about the goodness of Jesus coming to this world. Every, every passage of scripture in the Bible leans and lends itself and stretches towards the coming of Jesus. I got to tell you that if even one person this morning makes Jesus their king, then the whole vision of Christmas has been accomplished all over again. It's amazing to me. The whole vision, God's whole vision for Christmas is that his light would draw men to himself. And all that happens, all that needs to happen for it to be a success is for even one person to say, I will follow you. So if that's you this morning, here's the, the, please, please today, don't let another day go by. Accept Jesus. Accept his work on the cross. Accept the forgiveness he has in, in place already for your sin. Let him fill you with his love and the light of his life so that you can join us in this great adventure of becoming just a little more like him every day. I want to pray for you as we close today. We're going to sing one last song. It's a beautiful song. When we get to that part, your names say it all. I'd like you to think about his names this morning, that they are establishing his deity in your life, that they are establishing his rulership in, his, in your life, that they are establishing his forgiveness and his wonderful counsel in your life because his names that he has called in Scripture do say it all. They say everything that they need to say to us about who he is. Because he breaks the rod, he breaks the yoke, he breaks the boot, and he breaks the staff over our lives. Let's stand together. Father, I pray for every person in this room this morning, every person watching online today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your coming. We thank you that you are obedient to death, even death on that cross. Lord, we thank you that for a little while you made yourself lower than the angels and came as a human child, defenseless, meek, poor. But God, that in that package you wrapped the most powerful, most amazing, most saving, grace-filled person that would ever walk in the shoes of men. And Lord, I pray for the person sitting here this morning 
who needs to take that next step with you. I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that you would give them the courage to take the step. Father, if there are any here this morning struggling in marriage, struggling with sickness in their bodies, Father, we, we lift this to you week after week, and we offer it week after week, Lord God. So, Father, we ask that today would be the day that salvation would come to homes, that salvation would come to lives, that your healing and your power, your mercy and your grace would flow in your people today. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.